As we know as teachers, I mean, a lot of the best learning moments come from going off script, going into the realm of what I didn't expect, um, letting someone else sort of uh, have center stage for a while and uh, teaches the concept in Vietnamese, teaches the concept in, uh, in Arabic and let's go off of that. And even if they're not a Vietnamese or Arabic speaker, they're seeing something. They're seeing a, another student take a chance. They're seeing another student share something. They're seeing another student feel really confident because he can say what that word is in his home language, in her home language. It's just, it's just all of it really matters a lot. And I had no idea it was gonna happen, but I have to be open to it. You know, that was that was really a core part of teaching newcomers, is that um, I felt very, very comfortable letting that, that sort of thing happen. Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. Coming up in the second of a two-part series, we continue our conversation with Eddie Williams, the teacher featured in Helen Thorpe's book, The Newcomers. In this episode, how might teachers handle the draw of smartphones, texting, and social media in their classes, particularly in working with English learners and newcomers? What is the appropriate balance between structure and agency when working with English learners? And how do effective coaches encourage new teachers to increase their impact without becoming overwhelmed? All that and what Eddie hopes readers will take away from the book. We pick up right where we left off with a discussion about one of the most common challenges that all teachers face. Let's get started. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about another challenge. And this is a challenge that I think every teacher now uh, faces, but I want to kind of um, get into it uh, in, a, in a sort of a specific way in your context. Um, everybody's got a phone. Everybody wants to text. Everybody wants to make social connections. So yeah. throughout the book, Helen chronicles the kind of typical distractions that sometimes interfere um, you know, with what, what, what many think of as a well-run classroom, right? Um, text messages, social media, chatty behavior, all that stuff. But all these things seem to take on a different meaning with the newcomer students. In some cases, they're trying to connect with people they left behind. In other cases, they're using the language skills um, that they have acquired in, in a social context. But there's like there's kind of a, a dichotomy here. So I want to read another quote and, uh, and get your reaction to it. So Helen says, um, and I don't have the page number here, so sorry, everyone, if you're listening, but you'll find it if you read the book. It says, the students were increasingly engrossed with one another, which forced Mr. Williams to exert more discipline. <laughs> and at the same time, they were, they were able to comprehend more English, which was how they could interact more. The double effect of all this learning was amusing to observe, for her, I'm sure, maybe not for you, because Mr. Williams was gaining control of the room academically and losing control socially. We had traveled a long way from August when the room uh, had been so hushed and watchful. And like hushed and watchful is like the traditional classroom that the old school principal will come in and be like, great job. Like this is, this looks great. Like your students are engaged and you're in control. But like some of my classes were like 
it was chaos. And like, I felt like there was stuff getting done. So my question to you is the the balancing act here, like how do you deal with it, particularly with, with this group of students when you know that like, you know, they're learning and they're using their language socially, but like you still have to like, you know, manage that and have some structure. Yeah. And I think that's the goal that all, that all teachers really have, you know, um, so it, it was a different kind of balance teaching, uh, teaching my newcomers. It was a different type of balance between that, that chaos, maybe you can put chaos in quotation in quotations there um, of students just being natural, being themselves. Uh, a student checks her phone and sends a text message or, and she's disengaged, like possibly disengaged from the learning for a short amount of time. Um, and so there is that balancing act where I would need their attention. I would need to maybe model something. Uh, but that, that wasn't hard for me to get to bring that order in, you know, and, and we might do some, uh, some echo speaking, some echo reading. We might do some chanting together. We might sing a song. That wasn't that hard to get their attention to be able to do it. Uh, maybe I'm giving them new groups for the next activity. Um, that, that sort of thing, you know, especially when we have done those routines many, many times, now they could sort of fall into those. Great point. Uh, so I just, um, you know, but it, because we had so much trust, the students with me and me with them, you know, we had so much trust that I, I didn't, I wasn't so bothered by a little bit of chaos every now and then because as you know, with language acquisition and with learning in general, um, if there's too much discipline and students feel that there's too much uh, pressure on them to uh, like coercive type of pressure to, uh, to just uh, be obedient, you know, I don't think that's where the, that's not the sweet spot for learning, you know? So I, I wasn't really afraid of letting go uh, a bit on those, those reins of, of like traditional classroom uh, order, but it, it did make me realize that I had to be really mindful about setting up instances where they could use their speaking, they could use their reading, and they could also give each other feedback. Like I, I had rubrics for different types of activities that I taught them how to use. And so they could give each other feedback on the English and they got really into that. So when I let go of those reins for a while and they had some English activity, speaking and reading, it usually was a combination of things that I thought they could go with uh, in pairs or small groups. Then there was also a lot of craftsmanship in terms of how they could, they could take over the learning from me, give each other feedback, push each other. And then I was able to just kind of circulate the room, get in, in and out of groups, have fun, high five that was fun and they can just keep going keep going with this next one guys and then i can move on so there was there was um i that was my job is to really set those opportunities up every single day um because i couldn't i wasn't going to stand up there in front of the class and do a dance and show you do some pictures and read and like they're going to get bored with that yep it, it did inform how my teaching uh needed to allow them to to take over the learning. Yeah. I love, I love the term that you, I love to take that having them take over the learning, but the term craftsmanship, I mean, I think is what a great way to put it. I mean, that's kind of what's happening. And it sounds like, you know, you're, you're talking about, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, sort of the, I, I feel like I say this in every episode that, that we do, but there's like the balance of structure and agency. And if you get the recipe wrong, um, you know, chaos that you put in quotes, which I think is good, 
um, can really become chaos uh, and a lack of, 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 of any kind of sort of direction in any way. But if you have just the right amount of structure in place so that students feel like they're not going to go off the rails, but they can still have the ability to do their own thing and practice that craftsmanship, which again, I love that term, um, then, then you're in a sweet spot for learning instead of being, you know, like you said, in front of the class and, uh, and, and getting kids to be, to be really bored really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. As we know as teachers, I mean, a lot of the best learning moments come from going off script, going into the realm of what I didn't expect. Um, letting someone else sort of uh, have center stage for a while and uh, teaches the concept in Vietnamese, teaches the concept in, uh, in Arabic and let's go off of that. And then because a lot of the, the aha moments are a lot of my students like, oh yeah. And, and even if they're not a Vietnamese or Arabic speaker, they're seeing something. They're seeing a, another student take a chance. They're seeing another student share something. They're seeing another student feel really confident because he can say what that word is in his home language, in her home language. It's just, it's just all of it really matters a lot. And I had no idea it was going to happen, but I have to be open to it. And I just think that's, um, you know, that was, that was really a core part of teaching newcomers is that um, I felt very, very comfortable letting that, that sort of thing happen um, a lot. And I, I think with, uh, with core content areas, like you mentioned, math or STEM teaching, that, that's harder, you know, because those getting through all of those standards that I need to get through as a math teacher, it's, um, I feel pressure to go off script. And, um, but there, I think there are ways to do it. Um, and then the discipline, a discipline is, is certainly a part of any type of learning, right? And I think all of my newcomers, though, they had a sense of discipline. They really had a sense of what that was. And they expected it. Yeah. You know, expected it. And if I, if I let the class get too chaotic, I, I know that some of my students would let me know, you know, so-and-so is, he's not, he's not, he's not, he's not doing it, Mr. Williams. He's not yeah. doing it. Yeah. And uh, they would let me know. You yeah, know, you got to help us out. Yeah. They had an idea of what it took to That's learn. Right. And so they, they didn't lack discipline at all. Even if they had interrupted schooling, which most of them did, they, they usually had a strong sense of discipline in yeah. my that's beautiful. Them sort of, sort of taking control of their own learning and, and others as well, like, you know, watching out for one another. Um, all right. So let me ask you a couple of questions because you, you know, people who have read this book, I think, um, and people who may be just listening to this uh, episode can probably, um, perceive, you know, your enthusiasm for working with these students and you've had a lot of experience with it. You've had a whole year sort of being under a microscope, like being watched in this. And so I want to ask you a few questions um, sort of about your experience and, and some advice you might give others. So my first question with that is a couple more here. One is um, if you had a student teacher uh, who would be working with students like the ones that you are working with at South, what would be the first thing that you would emphasize to them as a coach? And then what would you not emphasize? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, as a coach, I would want to know what they're good at, what they, they, they feel that they're good at, and how they can use that strength to um, boost other areas of the teaching and learning in the classroom. Um, so some teachers are really content area experts, and I think that's amazing. Um, and so I would, I would maybe see how that, that teacher could be really concise about conveying that content knowledge and then allowing students to explore it. That's probably the kind of, the kind of coaching I would do with that, with the teacher that's in that type of place. Um, 
but I, you know, I think a core part of teaching is just to be yourself, uh, to, to let those, those natural instances of, of classroom learning and failure also. Failure is really, really important, right? Because that's where the, the best learning happens. Um, to let those things happen naturally and have some fun, let humor into the, the lesson. Um, it's so, so important. Um, but so, yeah, uh, I, would do, I would do all those things. And it's so individualized. Just like as yeah. the learning is so individualized for a student, it's the same way for a teacher. So I, um, I have coached teachers before, and it, it's really important to get to know who they are, why they go into teaching, um, and uh, what might be some pitfalls, too, because I know what the pitfalls are for me in teaching. And so I know that there, there are some things that I have to be really mindful about um, in terms of, for me, it's having uh, uh, the energy to be mindful every single day because I, um, yep. I, I do, for me, the, the work of teaching is, is really exhausting, but I do like to put 100% of myself into it. So I have to make sure that I have a, a good balance and that I have energy every single day. Um, that's where I am. And it, it's all, it almost feels like a spiritual thing, but it, that's because it is, you know, it's um, no doubt. It is, it is who I am, and it's, um, there's a lot of uh, deep meaning that comes from teaching and learning. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned, I think everything you said is really valuable, but one thing that at least resonates for me is just, you know, being able to, to understand what you're good at and being yourself. Like there, I feel like there's many teachers out there who try to kind of fall in line with what the expectation is, and kids see right through that. Um, you know, and, and, and if you're not yourself and yourself, everybody's self is very different. I mean, I, I always tell a story of this teacher who's a social studies teacher who was like the classic stand behind a lectern lecturing students, which nowadays is like, oh, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. But this guy, like, that's what he did. And his students were engaged and they'd come out of his classroom saying, that was amazing what, what he just did. And you're going to change that guy. You're going to say he can't do that. They're going to walk into another room and it's going to be a project-based learning or a flip learning thing or whatever. And then they have like the ability to take in information in a lot of different ways. So I think, you know, we can't change people when they're doing good things just because it doesn't fit into the current, you know, mold of what we think education is. Exactly. I think uh, usually a teacher is, is on to something, right? With whatever they do, whatever they fall into naturally, they, they're usually on to something that can work for them and for kids. I, and so I, I 100% agree with you. And that might be storytelling or, or you know, lecturing um, for long periods of time. And, and so can those things be adjusted to be more impactful? Yeah, I think that's where the coaching comes into play. Yep. And um, that, because I, when I did student teaching, I did student teaching in San Diego area at a school called Scripps Ranch High School. And um, I, I student taught with a teacher named Matthew Becker, who's an awesome teacher, awesome social studies teacher. And his lectures would be uh, really long, but he would get up on the whiteboard and he uh, uh, up next to the whiteboard and he would draw stick figures. And, and this is the war that's happening. But guess what happened? And then in this year, this other group of people came in, but they weren't aware of this other element. And he... So there would be like this stick figure war with dead people and then <laughs> some dates over here and then some, some bullet pointed key things here. And this civilization really, you know, they fell apart because of this and students were just like excited and they were laughing and they were like wiggling around in their chairs. And 
and he really loved it, you know, and so I agree with you. That's, um, most teachers are definitely onto something with whatever their first instincts are. And I think that's, that's usually who they are too. Like I was reading this book, uh, no, actually it was a podcast by Jordan Peterson, you know, the Toronto university of Toronto professor, uh-huh. the psychologist. And he, he said something that really stuck with me, which is, um, there's a dream that you have that every individual has. Um, and usually that dream is a very truthful interpretation of who you are or who you could be. Um, and I think as teachers, we, we sort of have that too. And so we shouldn't forget whatever that dream is, whatever I'm doing, that's who I probably am and who I should be in this, in this work. And, um, and don't be persuaded against it. But yeah, maybe you can still fine tune it somehow. Yeah. And I mean, you know, with the introduction of tech, not to go on a, a, a sort of rant here, but I do want to just kind of put a bow on this conversation about like, you know, teaching to your strength and 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 understanding that everybody does things differently. This particular teacher that I was talking about, I was very much involved in tech integration in the school. Uh, and he was one of these guys who you knew, like, wasn't really going to be into the whole thing. But once he learned a few tools, he be, it just was much more powerful for him. But he was still doing basically the same thing, just enhancing things and like sprinkling things in. It made him better. It made him more excited. It made the kids more excited as well. So, you know, your point about that's where the coaching comes in uh, is key. Mm-hmm. Can I say something about that? Yeah, See, go for it. Yeah, please. That what you said was so important. Because I, like, I feel like in teaching, I feel like most of us have too many tools. Yeah. Uh, who put out in front of us. And usually we forget things that really, really work, you know, because I've got, well, the next thing is the using technology in the classroom or the next thing is, well, I should really learn how to use that app because all my kids have Chromebooks or uh, the next thing is, and so I might, at some point I might have forgotten some really key things like a really awesome, but simple strategy for pair speaking or a really simple strategy for a peer evaluation. Um, and feedback or, you know, and I don't, I don't want to forget those things that are so important and that, and so I, I think one, one big challenge for teachers and coaching teachers is putting too much out there. Like I recently tried to put my core things that I know work with my current students on a sticky note. And if they couldn't fit, if those things couldn't fit on a sticky note anymore, I had to either take something else off or I had to remind myself, I'm probably not doing this thing enough because it does work. You know, my middle, I'm teaching middle school math right now. My middle school math students, they don't need 48 different strategies. Many of them are, are tech-based. You know, they don't, and I'm getting scattered as a teacher. And I think, I, my feeling is that's happening to teachers a lot nowadays. I see it from my perspective all the time. I mean, I I work for, I mean, the work that I do at the podcast and everything is sort of in many ways doesn't have to do too much with our products, but I was a trainer for Elevation and you'd go into schools and I, you know, obviously I'm a little biased, but I love what our, what our stuff can do, but I would go into schools and I would see these teachers that were just totally overwhelmed because there's, here's another thing they have to use, even though it's going to make their lives a million times easier and it's going to allow them to have more impact for their students. It is one more thing. Um, And so you know, I, I definitely have seen that from from both perspectives, and I think scattered is like the right word to use there. Um, and you, you want to be able to be focused on what it is that that is important. So, and a lot of times it could be like the elevation product or the the app or whatever that that thing is. I can put it into something else that I'm using yes. to make it more efficient, to make it more fun, to do like 
my students are in a routine of doing uh, vocabulary development one way, but now I'm using this, this I'm using a Pear Deck, pro, you know, Pear Deck flashcards, but now I can use Pear Deck flashcards, and that's really cool. It's not really that different from what I did before, but I think my students might like it. Sometimes I give my students the choice. Do you want to do it this way, or do you want to use Pear Deck today? Um, do you want to use the game approach that we did? And then when they're choosing, like you said, uh, use the word agency, when they have that agency, that's really cool. So I think uh, we have kind of a menu of things. Um, as long as I'm not getting scattered, though. You're right. As long as I'm not getting scattered. And yeah. that's an important part of teaching, uh, coaching teachers is to acknowledge that. Like, hey, do you, can I mention something else? Because if you're not ready for that, you know, and you see the teachers like oh, taking that deep breath, like, oh, okay, I'm not, let's not mention something new. Let's go back to what you said was really working, you know, or let's go back to what you said you want to, you want to see in your students, you know. Yeah, no, that simplicity is, it can be a beautiful thing and overcomplication can get really ugly really fast. All right, so two more questions for you, Eddie. The, the second to last question is, is, is one that I'm, uh, that I'm really curious about. Um, what do you hope readers, especially those who have the ability to affect educational policy, take away from the book? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I think I think continuing to advocate for English learners. I think um, uh, continuing to see our our English learners as um, it, having some strengths that we don't necessarily uh, cultivate as well here, maybe in the United States, with our our students that are born in the U.S. that uh, are in English speaking classrooms throughout their whole lives. Maybe we don't cultivate some of the skills that our ELs might naturally bring in with them, particularly our ELs that are born outside the U.S. Um, because uh, you mentioned the, the word super diversity, you know, earlier, and um, and it, that's what that that's what that means to me is is understanding that there are some some skills, some abilities, some natural talents that that these students will have just because of their 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 background, their cultural background is different because their geographic background is different. That, um, that I want to, I need to bring that into my classroom somehow. And, uh, and how can we make that something that's fun, that's instructive for other students? Um, I, I think that's what that means. And, um, and I, if having fun with it is so, so important. So I think that's one thing that I would remind teachers about, but I don't, I don't know that I need to remind teachers about it, you know, because I really believe that so many teachers are living this and doing this, and a lot of them are probably much better than me, uh, that, uh, you know, continue to have fun with it and just remember why you're doing it. And, um, and, I, and, and for me, that's, uh, it's, it adds to the meaning of, of this kind of work. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. All right. So to wrap up, uh, I always ask uh, people who come on the, the podcast if there's a book or other resource that's had um, kind of a profound impact on you personally or professionally that you'd like to share. Um, obviously, we're talking about a book that you are part of. I assume that's one, um, but I'd love to hear you know, how that one had an impact on you and or if you have others as well that you'd share. Yep. A couple. Uh, one that I read last summer was The Talent Code. Um, I actually listened to it um, the audio book. And then I, and then I got the book to tell one to go through it again and, and read it. Um, and so the talent code for me was, uh, it's interesting because it's a, it lays out, um, what deep practices. And that's, that's really where, uh, really 
amazing, profound learning happens for anyone in any sort of capacity, whether they are a piano player, uh, whether they are a soccer player, whether they're in a, in a classroom learning English um, or math or uh, something. It's, um, to me, that gave me a lot of insight into what deep practice is and how to get there. And then another book um, that I'm, I'm currently reading, it's called Lost at School. And I got, I picked up this book because I'm teaching at a school right now that's, it's called a high priority school in Denver public schools. And so it means it's a struggling school. Um, it's the type of school where they will pay teachers more to stay at the school, to be, to come to the school initially. It, it's difficult. And so Lost at School is about alternative approaches uh, to old school kind of discipline practices. And it's about more of uh, getting into the root causes for students, which are usually developmental delays. And so I'm teaching middle school math, uh, and it's actually math intervention that I'm teaching. So understanding how developmental delays for students can get in the way of their learning or the way they think about learning is a really important part of my work. Um, otherwise, you know, I think what, what we're doing in, our, in a lot of schools is we're just sort of banging our heads against same old school discipline structures that really don't service our students well, you know? And so to me, it's been really important to read this book and understand uh, how I can get to, uh, get to my students' root causes when the, when the misbehavior happens. Sure. Great. Well, those are two books, The Talent Code and Lost at School that we have yeah. not heard guests talk about. So we'll add those to our uh, ever-growing library. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and with that, Eddie Williams, it has been a pleasure and I will say a breath of fresh air speaking with you about uh, your experience with the book, your experience at schools working with newcomers, um, coaching. I think we ran the gamut in the conversation, which was a long one, but, uh, but I really, really enjoyed. So thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, well, I wanted to shake your hand, give you like an air, like a digital air five. So I think uh, you seem like a, a really good guy and an advocate for teaching and learning. So I appreciate that. Thanks, Eddie. My pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.